I'm Mike D and I'm back from the dead, chilling at the beach, down a club mad. Hurricane. <laughs> and I can't remember after that. Because DJ Hurricane. No, that totally works. That works, man. <laughs> All right. Well, w- welcome to the show, Michael. How's it going? Good, man. How's everything? Where you, uh, you're in California, no? Uh, Nashville. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. Nashville. That's right. Because we were talking about the bars. On the day. I'll yeah. be in D.C. tomorrow. I'll be in California next week. Busy? Yeah, we'll be in Washington tomorrow. Oh, wow. Is it, is it for the book? Um, no, my my wife has something going on. And then we're having dinner with a really interesting fellow, but it's a friend of mine called, uh, his name is Daryl Davis. Okay. Daryl Davis, he's been on um, my podcast before. And Daryl is a, he's a, like a boogie woogie uh, pianist. He's played with Chuck Berry for like 30 years. He played with, um, you know, Bruce Hornsby, a whole bunch of other guys. Wow. It's really interesting about Daryl is, uh, first of all, he's African-American. Second of all, he's convinced over 200 white supremacists to leave groups like the KKK just by being their friend. <laughs> Good for him. And he goes to Klan rallies like a maniac. Are you serious? And, yeah. And what's interesting about Daryl, too, is like, so he, he um, it started with, uh, you know, he, he tells the story better than I ever would, but he started, he kind of befriended this guy at a show, ends up, it was like a grand wizard or something. And he ended up 10 years later giving him away at his wedding. Wow. And what was also wild is they he gave him his robes. So his KKK robes. <laughs> so Daryl has a collection of robes of people that have left white supremacist groups and they they give it up to him. Over and he 200? wants to start a museum actually in Baltimore or in Washington. And how long has he been doing this for? It's got to be 20 years, 25 wow. years. Maybe longer. It might be longer. He's he's on he's got a very famous segment on CNN where he was giving away the guy at his wedding. It's really interesting. Wow, that's pretty interesting. So that's yeah, Daryl's that, a good friend. He's an awesome guy. He's a lot of fun. That's tomorrow. <laughs> that's later on this week. I'll see him. I think we see him tomorrow or the day after. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, but okay. Well, we should probably get him on the show. I'd like to actually chat him. Yeah, chat I'm sure him you should talk to Daryl. Yeah, no, totally. All right. Well, Michael, I want to first introduce you, right? Like, so uh, we're going to talk a lot about, um, I guess, your book. Your, sure. your second, your second book, right? This is my second book, yeah. Yeah. So form, form your own pack. Correct. Yeah. So the first book was called Automate and Grow, and that was really my blueprint of how I go into a business and think of um, automating marketing, sales, and support, and then build or fix technology. The next book was really inspired by this thing that's always been in my head, like, which is you know people forget about this Japanese business model known as the Kuretsu. And what was always interesting to me was it's kind of a model of cooperation and it defies a lot of like logic of what we think when you have a startup for in particular that, you know, there's like a lone wolf, yeah. they have a singular idea. And that is definitely how ventures um, get started. But what the Karitsu kind of showed was an example to me of how you can scale through cooperation. And so what I really explore in Form Your Own Pack is they say, well, here's this model that people have forgotten about. Here's these really interesting characteristics. Let's reimagine it for the startup age. And is there validation from the most successful ventures of the last 20, 30 years? So that must have been quite a bit of a journey for you to actually dive in and, and just learn so much about it. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is uh, it's truly a forgotten business model because even though there's these giant Japanese corporations that you know, like Mitsubishi, Matsushita, which is Panasonic, Sumitomo, 
and there's there's hundreds and hundreds of Karetsu type companies and you know they where they have like one brand and they all operate in multiple verticals and then they have you know there's no there's no documentation there's there's like two primary books on the entire subject wow. dating back to like the 90s but there's all you know there's all the really interesting lore around it so that was really interesting researching it and then kind of you know piecing together like well where did this come from what are those characteristics and why was it successful and what are the downfalls because i also highlight that awesome so we're getting ahead of ourselves but i want to yeah, introduce you how do you pronounce <laughs> your last name how do you pronounce Sorry? your last name uh, michael Oh, Devilano. Devilano, right? So author of uh, Form Your Own Pack. And then to get a hold of you, your email, your website, you want to share? Sure, yeah. If you go to um, founderspack.io, okay. that's our community of uh, pre-seed and seed stage startups and investors. And then Form Your Own Pack, um, I'll share with you a link to get a sample of the book. Yep. Where people can, uh, or you can find it on Amazon, Form Your Own Pack. Yeah, I've seen it already. I've already bookmarked it there on Amazon. Perfect. So I've been there. And then also your first your first book as well, too, which is Automate and Grow, a blueprint for startups, small and medium businesses to automate marketing, sales, and customer support. Both books relevant to the construction industry, in my opinion, if because it's just business growing. That's all totally. it is. Really simple, right? I totally agree. With that. Yeah. So I want to do a quick yeah. shout out. I'm wearing uh, Keith Young's uh, hoodie or not hoodie, uh, sweaty, sweaty today. So I just want to do a shout out to him. Thanks so much for the hoodie. It actually fits perfectly. Unleash your voice on the Construction Life podcast community. Are you passionate about the world of construction, trades, and all things building related? The Construction Life Podcast wants to hear from you. Leave us a review, share your thoughts, insights, and experiences on your favorite podcast channel. Your review fuels our mission to create engaging and informative content for the construction community. Your feedback is a mortar that holds our podcast together. So share your thoughts, rate us, and let the construction community know why the Construction Life is your go-to podcast. Visit our website and check out the over 400 tradespeople and construction professionals listed on our site. Check out www.theconstructionlife.com for additional content, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and valuable resources. Dive deeper into the construction world with articles, guest profiles, and more. Follow us on social at TCL underscore The Construction Life. Subscribe to our video channels on YouTube and Rumble. Check out our link tree and find exclusive discounts for listeners. The link is in the IG bio. Join the conversation on Facebook, the Construction Life community. Um, and that's it. But now I want to get back with you, Michael. I want to start figuring sure. out how we can connect this all to, because I agree with you. I'm a fan of how they actually implement business. Like I like how they do things, which I think is at its core, built on relationships and understanding that it's not that one person can do everything because everybody that gets into the construction industry thinks that they are the guy that knows how to do everything. And they don't realize, I think the sooner you realize that you need a team and the right team, you'll grow a lot better and faster and smarter and you'll have a healthier business. And I think that's the mindset now is that as you get into this industry, the health of the industry is far more important than the growth of the industry. Totally agree with that. I mean, I think it's, you know, first off, if you look at the characteristics of the crates, so it kind of are interesting and maybe applicable, you know, one, there's vertical and horizontal crates. So horizontal have like independently operated entities, but then they cooperate and the way they cooperate is they have trading companies. 
And the trading companies will do a bunch of things. One, they'll open up new markets and opportunity across the different companies. So like a business development arm in one sense, but they also assume risks. So they'll act as like, um, you know, almost like a bank. And typically all the curates who have these independently operating companies organized around common assets. So like real estate, finance and insurance. And those are all things that I think in trades are really important 100%. and aren't always organized real well. Yeah. Uh, the other interesting thing is that every Friday, these giant corporations, they have a private secret meeting between CEOs and presidents. So they have lunch club on Fridays. And in that environment, they're able to share, you know, frank feedback with each other. They, they're able to get advice and they look for ways to cooperate and really, there's four things that we encourage people to do that because I think they do that is how do you share technology, talent, data and relationships? Mm. And so those are kind of the, the big characteristics of the creator that I found really compelling. And I think it's very applicable to your industry. It's 100 percent applicable to it. So it's just I, I know that only a handful of actual companies in construction that I know of that I've spoken to on the show that are doing, I guess, for lack of a better word, networking events like this. But I think that and. Are they religious about every Friday that it's always happening yep. every single week? It doesn't matter what time of the year. Yep. It's and it's the CEOs and the presidents of the companies that they, you know, they kind of own. Right. So and then the other interesting thing is they have cross shareholdings. Oh, so and it, it's not necessarily you have to. But what's interesting about that is then there's stake in the game. Yes. So they'll have, you know, five percent cross shareholdings in a very complex web across 10, 12, 20 companies. And that gives everybody incentive and they'll send each other engineering and management talent to solve problems unprompted. It's like, Hey, I need a problem. Well, I have a guy, he can help you with that. And they do it because they have cross ownership and then you know, they're publicly traded a lot of the times, but they'll have a public float of 20% or 10%, but the most of it are held in interlocking uh, shareholdings. Am I wrong to say, Michael, that um, I, I understand that you're saying that it's CEOs and, and top level individuals that are doing this but mm -hmm. can't the small man the small guy in a small business do the exact same thing just at a smaller totally. scale totally right yeah and that, that that's exactly the theme of the book which says okay here's the example here's the downside to it because they have these other cultural aspects that have kind of created other problems let's reimagine it for small wolf packs mm -hmm. let's think of smaller organizations and how do we apply these lessons i think the key is Pick and choose the parts that make sense for you. Understand the positives and, and the, the risks. And then structure something that works. And I think part of it is really you want to have three groups. When you're imagining for your smaller company, because not everybody's a giant multinational conglomerate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a lot of us have it in our head, right? So it's great. Right, it's in our head. So really you have three groups in your pack, as we say. Uh, one is a community of customers. Two are partnerships, and these can be everything from referral partners to affiliates to people that have, you know, things that you don't in your business that you need. And then you have a mastermind. And the mastermind is usually your closer circle of investors or advisors. I actually had a question just as you were bringing that up, but I totally forgot what it was. Um, <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out. Um, oh, I can't. Sorry, my God, I just told, I lost it there at that point. Don't worry about it. No, no, I just I'm I'm trying to because this <laughs> I I find it fascinating when you first approached me. I was like I I I've been very respectful of Japanese culture and how they they 
it's it's weird how they're really good at certain things, but then they're also not very. There isn't a lot of um, connectivity, personally speaking. You know what I mean? I don't want to try to weird, upset right? anybody, but it's kind of weird no, how the PDAs are not there. But business wise and networking and relationships, it's they they have it in tenfold. Like they 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 have perfected it. They have, but you know, I think I point out in the book that there's an extremity to it. Okay. So one extremity is, you know, employees are very, very dedicated to the company they work for. There's a term called salary men. And, you know, there's a cultural aspect of Japanese society that their job is to be the best worker or, you know, career person for society and their company. And the companies are very loyal. Like there's two interesting characteristics in the Japanese economy. Unemployment never seems to drop below 2.5%. Wow. And Jap- there's a saying that Japanese companies don't go bankrupt. So they're very loyal both ways where people will remain employed despite you know bad times. On the cultural side, what's weird is there's other cultural aspects where the, you know the, almost that fanatical um, acquiescence of the individual for the group yes has created other problems and part of it is being as polite society where it's almost if you look at you know just culturally if you ever go into a starbucks in japan it's like a library yeah <laughs> it's so quiet <laughs> and you're like what's well, people are whispering and it's extremely safe i mean when i was there crazy. i remember people leaving their laptops completely open unlocked right knapsacks and just walk away and then go get a refreshment go get whatever but there was no threat like it was just weird for me the flip side to that is it's seen as impolite to approach people yes there's other so people aren't really having families and it's a closed society yes so we talk about you know friday lunch club where it's a closed environment where you can share and but there's also social pressures in that and the greater society there's that and the problem with that closed society there's no immigration into japan you see what happens is it's a declining society population wise it's the oldest population in the world so the average age in japan is now 50 wow which is not great because you're not going to have kids at 50 and what's happening is they're declining they were a million a year declining now i think it's a million five since the pandemic wow so it's it's the downside so i think that's why we say look let's take the positives of this and apply it to our own business you know we don't necessarily want a fanatical culture where you know you give up all of your individuality to the group i don't think that's a north american trait that's successful i think you know for example the united states is successful because of the idea of the rugged individual that takes chances and there's outsized rewards for taking those chances so i think you want to have um you know, exponential thinking, you want to take risks and, and look for opportunity and solve them through entrepreneurship. And so I think applying those two things is really interesting. And that's kind of the theme behind form your own pack. I do want to, I I do want to share with everybody that's listening that I think I have stated on this show that Japan actually has the oldest corporation, which is actually a construction company that's been passed down through generations. And I think we're talking about the corporation is about 1300 years old, still working today, still operating still. And, and they build temples uh, and they have a lot of commercial projects that they're doing. So when I found out that bit of history and construction, I was really mesmerized by that, that they're the one place in the entire world that has this one corporation that's been around for that long. It's really interesting. If you go back into any of these Kuretsu, the, the Kuretsu was really 
a reimagined version of the, what was known as the Zaibatsu. Okay. And the Zaibatsu were these family cartels. And the family cartels stretched back hundreds and hundreds of years. And basically what happened was like, you know, they lost World War II and there was an occupation by America and the U.S. wanted to break these cartels up because they saw that as fueling Japanese imperialism. Yeah. But what, what happened was really weird was they discovered that it was the cooperative aspect just needed to be reimagined because it was very integral to Japanese society and was a way that they were successful was this cooperative model. And, and to the point where some, one company actually, I can't remember if it was Matsushita, the employees lobbied the the American occupation to not break up the Zaibatsu. Wow. Because <laughs> the, the workers were like, no, we need this. This is very important. They're loyal to us. We're loyal to them. And this is why we're successful. So to their credit, the occupation basically said, well, let's reimagine these as public companies. They can't be privately held anymore. But there's still pretty tight connection to the old, you know, Zaibatsu families, but they're not controlled by that. And so that, it was just, an, I think it's time to reimagine it now for ourselves, right? And I think a lot of that's, but it's interesting what, what you said that, because I think there's a lot of them have very long history. Which brings me my to my next point, which kind of connects to what I forgot a little bit earlier, where... I see that a lot of new companies, whether they're in construction or any other industry, they're so tech heavy driven about trying to solve problems that way instead of the relationship part of it. Are you seeing more and more of that? Like when you start seeing younger startups and they're getting going, are they putting the the, the digital cart before the horse? You know what I mean? It's a it's a great question. So. You know, what I show in the book is I actually show evolutionary wise humans rule the earth because of two traits, not one, but two. One is their ability to cooperate in large numbers. And that's validated by some really interesting research that I share in there. Um, the second, though, is their use of tools yes. and tools being technology. So if you have, if you're just one and not the other, I don't think that you're going to be as successful. And I think the goal of technology and tools is automate the things that are repetitive, but important, eliminate the things that, um, you know, don't really scale or bring value to your business and free up time. So you can do the more important things, which are relationships and, you know, connecting the dots with people. And I think that's really, you know, part of my motivation is it's like, here's a great way to do this. You come up with your own version of how this works, but I think, you know, tools are very important. They amplify pack. So your ability to cooperate in large numbers is amplified five, 10, a thousand X based upon the tool set you implement. Um, so I think together that's the winning formula. Are you seeing Michael, like, are you seeing um, a lot of these young companies just driven by the almighty dollar at dollar and not realizing like a business is still business. So like the idea that the reason that you start a, an entity is to actually start monetizing it and grow it. But I mean, are you seeing more people actually truly care about moving forward and trying something new? Not really, huh? Well, I don't, I wouldn't say that. I think that, you know, you're seeing this, this trend and I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense. Like you've seen the extreme, for example, of effective altruism. It's yeah. really not effective. Yeah. Like, you know, if you look at the point of an organization, unless it's a nonprofit and nonprofits are notoriously brutal for never achieving their outcomes, <laughs> like, like it's just, and if you get inside of any of them for technology, it's brutal to look at what's in there because they're like, oh, well, that's not important. It's the people that's important, but it's, no, you're missing the, you know, people want to 
be part of something that's growing and growing the way we count that as money. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and profits. And, you know, like, I think the benefit of tools and technology over time is when there's, especially when there's breakthroughs is it increases the capacity to not just have money flowing through, but to be profitable and you can do whatever you want with that. <laughs> I think Salesforce is a great example of that. Salesforce, you know, it's like, hey, 1% of our profits go to the Salesforce organization. They're doing everything from, you know, educating people around the world to building wells to health and wellness in countries that really need help with clean water or, you know, medications or whatever. And they've done a lot in the nonprofit sector. But at the core of it, it's because their core business is very profitable. <laughs> As contractors, we know safety is crucial at all times. But having team members not follow or even worse, not know safety protocols is something that can cause stress and anxiety in the workplace. We face this and many other challenges daily from calling the entire team just to make sure jobs are done in a safe manner to updating team members one by one about training they need to complete regarding a certain tool or a new regulation only to figure out who has or hasn't completed the training and document everything in messy folders. We deal with a lot, but Connect Team is here to help us out. Connect Team is a platform built for managers with a lot of different capabilities made to ease communications and operations, helping you get a clear and live overview of your business while giving your employees one central and simple app for work. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. What's I'm curious, Michael, what's the core idea behind Japanese culture and advertising? I get the sense that they're not as blatant when it comes to North American advertising, where we're more in your face and get the messaging out there versus, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm very respectful of places like Brazil where they don't allow certain signage and advertising. Same with Washington. There's no signage out there as well, too. So it's like there it's just it's noise now, even here. And recently we found out in Oakville, there's no billboards allowed in the Oakville area. So they're just trying to just make the cities look more interesting looking instead of just covered in, in littered. I call it littered in advertising. Yeah, I think. And I, I think that goes back to the aesthetic of, you know, if, if you look at the way the Japanese are design wise, if you go there to Tokyo, it's like going into the future, right? Yeah. I think you're attracted by the forward thinking nature of the businesses that are there, not the fact that they're giving you an offer. You know, I think, I think a lot of advertising here is like pitch driven and I don't know, though you're seeing like a different generation that connects with brands for a different reason, but I think Japanese culture is it's consistent, right? It's like, Hey, don't be offensive. Don't be in their face, attract people in based on the right qualities. If it's secretive, they'll find it. Yeah. And the right people will find it. It's true. It's true. But I guess with, with the technology today and what's going on, are you seeing this whole Japanese way of doing business being done on the digital platform? Like, are they contributing to the same way as if they're people person? Like, I mean, will, will are, are you seeing companies do that Friday afternoon or Friday day kind of get together, but online because physically people are not spending the time to get together personally? What's crazy is like, we have this real um, issue where people don't want to go back to the office, right? Where it's like, so you see this and it's a battle and, you know, people you know, there's always bad actors that are working remotely and they're working two jobs or they're just not doing their core job. And it's more difficult to build a cohesive culture is kind of the argument, which, and it's hard to provide data around that. Right. Yeah. So I think all companies, especially the big, big ones are trying to balance freedom and autonomy 
with get stuff done and do it within our culture. And I think there's a lot of activism that have infiltrated everything, which is, you know, that's politics, which should have no part of these organizations. And it goes back to this idea of, oh, well, do you care just about profits? Like, listen, if you're making money, it's because we're profitable and you can go do whatever you want. It's not up to me to support your cause necessarily. And I think a lot of leaders, there's been a backlash in the last two years on a lot of that. So I think, you know, to answer your question, I think everybody's struggling with culture. My wife has a really good podcast on this actually, which is, you know, and uh, she's comes from large organizations, which is her culture cast. Um, And I think it asks that question, right? Which is like, well, what is the culture of your organization? Some people think it's a thousand points of light. I personally think it's individuality. And I think I would love to see a world where there's a lot smaller companies that interwork and use technology as a way to connect them to other people. That would be like, you know, my dream, but that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing seven or eight big companies kind of dominate things in different sectors, right? So um, I think it's a bunch of fear. I think there's a lot of fear going on where, I mean, we're old enough to know how we grew up where you, you, you listen to music on vinyl, then you started listening to music on cassette tape, and then it got to CDs, and now you're dealing with MPs, right? But if you go to the other landscape where it's like we, we were watching TV, I remember still watching TV, black and white TV, right? Then it became color TV, and then it became like cinema became a thing. And, and so now, you know, the internet comes on board, and all of a sudden, the messaging, they just don't know how to get the messaging out there. So they'll do is they'll use whatever they can. So that's where that crossover of politicals. Now, now you start getting onto social media apps, and that's how they're trying to get their message. So now you know that you spend any moment in life going anywhere, you're bombarded with some sort of message, advertising, right or wrong, positive or negative, anywhere you go. It doesn't matter where it is, and it's there. But there's in, so much noise, right? And yeah, devices have obviously become really powerful. I think that packs. You know, I, I talk about AI and how people are afraid of AI and the amplification of messaging out there. And I think that the way to approach it, you know, one way is you go and you close out the whole world and you sit there by yourself in the room and you make your own decisions. The other way is you coalesce your pack. And if your pack is a tight circle of advisors and investors, and those are the people that you turn to, and then partners that have aligned interests, and then you build your own community. And you do that by putting out what your lighthouse is. Like, these are our values. These are the type of people that we help. And these are the problems we solve. And if if that doesn't fit you, the tighter that message is and the more almost like... Um, you know, polarizing it is the better (laughs) because then you can create a tighter community that is just your own. And I think that's the way people will cope with, you know, insane messaging. Right. And I think if you're looking, the one example I use is Sam Parr and Sam Parr had the hustle and we were, I was part of the trends. They just shut trends down, which is crazy. So if you're a trends member watching this, come to founders pack (laughs) because we want to, you know, there's an aspect of that community that we also have and was very valuable but what, who shut it down was HubSpot. And HubSpot bought the hustle from Sam for like 27 million bucks. He had 2 million free readers of the hustle. And it was talking about like basically new trends. And then they, if you join trends, which is a paid community, there was 12, I think it was 15 or 16,000 of those people. Why did they buy that? Because it matched their ethos as HubSpot. And those were prospects to use HubSpot. So rather than sitting out there banging out like meta ads and trying to target people and hope that they click on something, it was no, 
I have all their email. It's a tight community. They have the same ethos that these guys are looking for trends. They're starting products and businesses and they want to move fast. They're ideal customers for my product. I think that's what you're seeing. And I, I talk about a bunch of examples of that in the book of how building community is really the new marketing in a lot of ways. It's um the last few networking so-called events that I've been a part of. I've always gone in, I guess as, as I get older, I've always gone in with uh, the mindset of, I just want to learn from other people. I want to see who I can meet, get to know the person, the personality, the character first. But what I see on the flip side is when people are speaking to me, I get the sense that they're fishing to find out what I can provide them. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, is that where networking definition has gotten to nowadays where here we are at 2023, where it's like, it, it almost kind of makes me laugh about that classic movies casting kind of when you've got a bunch of actors going into a casting room. Couch. Yeah, well, not necessarily the casting couch. It's like they're only being good to you because they think that you can provide something to you for you. And I'm like, why am I getting this messaging from these people? I don't get it. And then I don't, you know, cards are exchanged, ideas are suggested. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, drop mine, drop line, drop line. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Yeah. And I just keep on thinking, well, hang on a sec. I just get the sense that it's going to be a one-way street at this point. And if networking has never been about one-way streets, it's always been about trying to figure out how to get that group, that circle of people that you can kind of work with. So some of the ideas I try to share, actually, it's interesting you bring that up. Is first is to say, you know, whoever I'm talking to, what potential one of those three groups of my pack would they fit in yeah. and why? Yeah. And, you know, what is it that I offer and what do I need? And being able to communicate that clearly is not terrible, but, you know, the risk of the word networking has become very transactional, right? Yes. And people always approach it from, well, they're the hero of the story, so they're going to tell you all about what they do. The other way to flip it is to say, well, is to be interested, not interesting, right? <laughs> you always want to be interesting, yes. but about like, you know, I'm looking for this, How? who can I help? And I think that's the mentality. And if you're part of a group that's not like that, that's really challenging. And that's why, you know, you want to build your own group. That's kind of what I started Founders Pack, right? I want to help founders get their message out to investors. I want them to start the, you know, really scalable ventures by really coming up with transformational ideas, not me too ideas. Um, so, you know, I kind of create my own community, right? Yeah. And I think you can do the same. You've probably done the same around your podcast. Yep. Companies can do that around their product. And, you know, what I always, a couple of thing, ideas that I have in the book are one is, you know, look, do you know what the dark triad is? No. What's that? The dark triad are these three traits that form a, a triangle. It's like uh, narcissism, Machiavellism, and I forget the third one, but there's tests for this. <laughs> Okay. And, and there's always the test. And I use other fun examples like the Yakuza, you know, they'll test people at different layers to get them to higher levels of the Yakuza. Right? And so it's like a test of loyalty. So you always have to ask, like, before you ever do any of that is who do you trust and why? What are your values and what do you stand for? And what problems do you solve and what help do you need? And then it becomes a lot clearer. And that way you can evaluate people. It's like, well, is this someone that's in my pack or not? Are they part of my community, which are usually customers that I can solve problems for? Are they partners where they have a complementary solution? We have aligned interests, or is it someone that's really close? It's that one to 10 people that are in my mastermind. And I think then it makes it a lot easier to figure out like what events you go to, what events you throw and who were there and who you talk to and help. Are you, are you seeing a lot of these younger entrepreneurs out there being 
a little afraid of doing all this hard work beforehand? Like, are they just, I don't think so. no, they're not right. They're embracing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, founders are amplified by media and technology. And we kind of talk about like all companies are media companies and all companies are now technology companies. Yeah. yeah. So that's like, it's, come to that point where we've had a revolution of the last 10, 12 years of SaaS, software as a service is very um, accessible, but also easy to build. Now people build the wrong thing. So, you know, there's not the barrier to solving problems through technology anymore. And the next phase of that is artificial intelligence, which is, well, why am I the button pusher? Why am I not just focused on outcomes so I can free up my time? I, I know what the outcome of the thing is. Let, let, AI either code something or use something on my behalf. And that, that can be very, very powerful. And then it frees you up to, well, who am I a partner with? If you look at just media, the way TikTok or YouTubers, for example, content creators, whether they're B2B or B2C or whatever it is, they grow is through partnerships. They yep. grow through influencer relationships yep. where they're amplifying each other's stories. And I think that's a very great lesson. And that's very much like you wonder, well, how's this young kid? Like I have a friend that represents a young kid. He's got 10 million followers on TikTok. He's doing tech reviews. Wow. Right. He's doing product tech reviews. And the way he started growing it was through partnerships, right? Like other people amplifying his story and he amplifies other people's stories. So the, all these groups, like you would see houses. So they have TikTok houses in Los Angeles where there's like 10, 20 creators they're creating content and then they're cross promoting each other's content or they're appearing on each other's content. So I, I think just the opposite, I think they get it. And I think they understand the network effects of cooperation. So why is it that, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but the thing is, I think, I think that TikTok in Canada doesn't have the same kind of opportunities as TikTok in the USA regarding the monetization <laughs> side. Someone told me that recently. So I don't know if that has something to do with our government up here or what's the story, but we don't know. Right. It's the maple curtain. <laughs> is that what it is? The maple curtain? <laughs> Listen, Canadian content, I tell you, if, if you, you travel, so if you yeah. come to the States, you don't see the same stuff you see here. When you go back to Canada from the US, it's like you get this thimble of information and and entertainment, and it's not the same as everywhere else. It's, it's, it's so true. <laughs> Especially not the US. The US is like a fire hose that you have to stream yourself. Like, don't worry. We've, we've already curated it for you. This is what you need to see in Canada. <laughs> it's very different. Unless you want to watch hockey. Cause all the, you know what? It's nightmare watching hockey here. Nobody watches <laughs> like, well, it there. Where is this game? Well, you know, I'm a scout <laughs> in hockey. So I'm like, and I, I love hockey. So I, I used to just watch five games at once. Right. With different screens. Now it's like, I don't even know where the game is. I don't have that subscription. Why is it on this? So they, they could figure that would be nice. <laughs> Everything else, like, you know, you can, you can kind of, you have so many more options here. And that's, I think that's the same with even social media content. There's, you know, a factor of 10 X, the content creators yeah, and the themes, right? So I think the, the opportunity you have here for content is you might have what's a niche audience, but niche here is a lot bigger than anywhere else. You know, same with Asia, same with like other markets. It's true. I mean, since Canada is a tenth the size of the U.S., Great. but don't worry, they're going to get to 100 million, my friend. Who Canada is? They're on that pace. Uh, 100 Maybe million of it. Interesting. Open. I know. It's a lot of new people coming to Canada, right? And it's 
if you look at the projections, like if they keep on the current pace, they'll hit 100 million by like 2050 or something. It's a country that was 34 million three years ago. Now it's 41. It's 41 million. I know. It's insane. It's going right? to change. You're going to be a bigger player. Yeah, well, it's going to change. Is it going to change for the better? But I guess is there going to be opportunity business-wise here? We don't know until we see the landscape. I, I would think so, but you don't you know. I think it, it just depends. Like The way that doing it is weird. So. How did your research come along in the book there? Because I know that recently Elon talked about at some point in humanity, nobody's going to have to work. It's all going to be all produced for you and um, you'll have everything that you need, I guess, but you won't need the general worker. <laughs> we've, we've, we've argued about that regarding construction where it's like you still need that final person's touch, skilled or what have you. But I mean, that could be automated as well at some point. So did you dive in, in any of that in the book there? Talked about how when you start eliminating the human component to any business. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dumb things that humans are doing every day. Spreadsheets are the worst, right? Um, but, you know, it's hard to spreadsheet a construction site. <laughs> so it's interesting because like physical things, if you look at what AI does really well, it's not really physical things, it's digital things. So yeah. a lot of the things it's doing are writing, creating content. We're seeing crazy video, image, personalized, mass personalized, customized content is really weird and interesting entrepreneurs are who are figuring out how to use this to their advantage so that you can have the three or five person company that used to be a 30 or 50 person company. Yeah. Efficiency. I think that's the opportunity. That's why I think form your own pack is really the theme, which is, well, you don't need a, to work in a 10,000 person company. You, you could start your own company, have your own pack and be very successful and have more freedom to do other things. And that's, that's kind of the goal, right? I think that's more fulfilling than being beholden to a giant conglomerate or a government uh, entity that you work for, right? Like I think, though, and people are just, it's mindset at that point. So I think there's a lot of people that have, you see a lot of rise of union stuff, which is weird to me. Like you're like, okay, so you have unlimited choices. You have unlimited tools to do and start whatever you want. You can have your own TV station on YouTube. Yeah, you can have your own software that you own, that you build, and your choice is to fight over a small, repetitive job. <laughs> like, what are you doing? The landscape's completely changed, and you're right. If you're not taking advantage, <laughs> if you're not taking advantage of any of it, then you're missing out at that point, right? Yeah, especially here. Like, I think the culture is there are outside rewards for risk. Yes, and that doesn't mean illegal behavior. That means take a chance on an idea, get it to the right people and try to get traction. And that's something you can do over and over that process. And I think that's what the opportunity with AI just gets more amplified because if now the barrier isn't, well, did they code what I want? Did they design what I want? No, they it, it came out the way I want. I'm able to iterate faster. It's just like cars, like cars, you look at cars the way they were built before, it would take years and years and years to come up with a new model. And they were terrible. Like, look at the cars we had in the eighties. They were horrible for the most part, right? <laughs> now, like you're getting really cool designs. You're using new materials. They're able to prototype and knock out vehicles so much quicker and they're safer and faster and cleaner and all the things above. Right. And now we have new methods of propulsion and everything else like they're computers on wheels right so i think that's what the opportunity is like let's extend that to everything do they do you know if um because i actually haven't seen this in a while but regarding car manufacturing i remember back in the day they would always do the clay 
model mock-up. Yeah. Do they still do that today or is that all done digitally now? I, I think there's a lot of CAD going on and it's yeah. instantaneous CAD is now like a real thing. So I, I don't know for, you know, firsthand, but I, I think that, um, it, which is funny because if you look at like Tesla is like the fastest growing, maybe number one North American car maker. Yeah. The guys that are really done innovative stuff are the Koreans, like with Kia. Yeah. Kia's got, you know, some crazy design aesthetic. Some of it borrows from other things. So I think a lot of that innovation's there. I mean, Honda and Toyota become like mass car manufacturers, VW, the same thing. But, you know, there's interesting stuff coming out of even, and China's got some crazy stuff for cars. So I think the ability to iterate and knock stuff out is definitely there. Um, and I think that it's the same thing. When you have a culture that's rooted in an old idea, then it's tough to break that culture unless you blow it blows up, right? Like, look at GM. It might go bankrupt again. <sighs> Quickly turn digital measurements into efficient gains for your business. With iGUIDE, you can turn around DWG floor plans within 48 hours, easily share project files with partners, and create 3D walkthroughs for your clients. Stop struggling with inaccurate measurements, manual processes, and inefficient project planning and collaboration. Discover how you can boost productivity and cut costs with a virtual demo. Visit www.goiguide.com forward slash AEC to connect with an iGUIDE specialist. Well, what do you make it? Trucks? Yeah, like... <laughs> you make anything. You're making trucks. Well, let's just make autonomous vehicles. You shouldn't be able to drive. No, you should be able to make mass customized cars. Can somebody figure that out? <laughs> There's a reason. There's a bunch of reasons on that. But I, I think that it's also, I think anybody should be paying attention to other industries to perfect their industry. Yeah. Like if you're not in one industry, for example, construction and not paying attention to what the automakers are doing and learning lessons from them. We're not talking about design or anything like that. We're just talking about manufacturing and business-wise structures. List, learn, learn those lessons, then you can take it towards your business and you should be doing that research. That's what your book is really all about. It's kind of getting yeah. those, those pieces, right? In a lot of ways, it's like have, you know, figure out who you can trust, who have aligned interests, form your pack, and then attack the the world and amplify that pack through technology. Automate the things that are repetitive and then focus on building relationships and with customers and partners. How quickly should we abandon something, something that's not working? Like, should we, because we always want to try, right? Sorry. Yeah. It's a tough question, right? It is. So, I think, you know, what I propose in, around that is you got to say for your pack, how do you attack innovation? How do you attack opportunity? And, you know, the model that I kind of say is, well, everybody should rapidly prototype, go talk to real investors and customers immediately. And I, and I have proposed you do a two-day startup where you form a team, you have a problem you're solving, you prototype it rapidly. You go talk to the person you claim is the customer before you build the thing. Yeah. And that's easier in software than a lot of things, but you can, you know, create drawings for anything now, whether it's a building or a piece of machinery, whatever. Yep. Um, and then talk to people that you think would invest. And if they won't give you some nominal piece of money for you to actually go make that, it tells you a little bit. And you might find like, hey, this is not innovative enough. It doesn't really solve a problem or it doesn't solve a problem that people want to pay for. It's not as big a pain point as I imagined. And a lot of times it's, you know, create it for yourself, right? Yeah. But I think you have that model in mind and then you decide, is this really something to take the next step? And then I propose taking a six-week accelerator approach where you're going to, okay, we've got some validation here. We've got a little bit of feedback from the people that are investors and customers. They like it. 
I'm going to go build the first version of this over six weeks in a really rapid fashion. And then we're going to go demo it. And we're going to say, okay, it's, you know, this is pretty good now. What do you want to do? Are you a customer? Are you an investor? <laughs> I'd love to get I, your I, opinion, I, Michael. I'd love to get your opinion, Michael, on, um, on some good companies that are in North America right now that are doing what you talk about in the book that are doing it well. Or maybe even um, companies that were doing it well and they kind of lost their way for whatever reason. Well, I, I mean, the ultimate, you know, I, the ultimate example is really like, you know, OpenAI is kind of interesting okay. for a lot of reasons, right? And they've taken something that's existed for a while, which is a large language model. Yeah. And they've taken something else that existed for a while, which are chatbots. And independently, these things are useless. They're not useless, but they're not mass, right? And then by combining them, they made a chatbot that worked really, really well. And so now it's per they've disrupted an industry in a sense of which is search, which is they put search under pressure, which is I'd rather, I don't want to search. I just want to find, hmm. I want to get an answer hmm. and I can evaluate if the answer's right. And it'll do some output. It'll create stuff, code or images or, um, you know, like, you know, uh, answers, right? Like it'll do writing content. Then what they did is that really just demonstrated the capability of if you take your product idea and plug into this via API, you can be a partner. Yeah. And maybe that partner is your software that was software as a service um, is now amplified by this LLM through an API. So th that's a really interesting company in that sense. Like people see chat GPT and think that's the company. That's not really the company. That's, there's all this corporate stuff. You know, you think of the things that we all suck at in companies and struggle with data, reporting on that data, moving data across the customer journey from marketing systems to sales systems to onboarding systems to finance and having different concepts of the customer and what the customer is doing in each of these. It's a nightmare. But AI does that stuff really well. Large language models can interpret what the user wants what the data is and connected to. So that you ask for something, you get what you want. And so that's why OpenAI is really, really interesting because it just opens up that capability to anyone. You can plug into their tool and amplify your own tool. So where we saw like for 10, 12 years, we saw this boom in mobile, yeah. people building mobile apps. And we saw this, and that's a platform, right? People would build for iOS, they build for Android. And it would be on iPhone and they would build on Samsung or whatever, right? Whatever else is on the Android environment. The same way OpenAI is now, you're going to build, yes, there might be a chat GPT plugin, but you're also going to build to the, you know, your own application on their technology, which is their um, uh, GPT technology, which is the LLM, right? Yep. And there's going to be a new boom because of that. And some of it is people that have built mobile apps and SaaS apps and they go, oh, I can take that to the next level now. And, you know, I, I'm part of a, a startup that I started called Ops, and Ops is doing that. Ops is saying, well, let's solve for the expert SaaS user. Like, why am I the guy that's in learning 12 different applications, pushing buttons, downloading CSVs, moving data around, or creating weird automations? Let's just let open, you know, um, Ops do that, where Ops will, I'll tell it what I want, and it'll understand, well, I need to move the data from here to here. I need to give you a report on these two things and what they mean in these systems. Like that's the ultimate goal. And I think a lot of other founders are doing that. And I think over the last 12 months, what you've seen is a write down of old SaaS where 
venture capitalists are dumping those investments mm-hmm. at you know 60 to 90% off and PEs grabbing them up. And the ones they're non- not dumping are understanding that they can evolve it with AI, with that other model. And that's that's where the new boom is. And that applies to any industry. I mean, there's just so many opportunities. If you've built SaaS for an industry and then you apply AI to it, it's like, oh, okay, I don't need to be an expert user in this. I just tell what I want to do. That's much better. Does it get rid of the whole inspirational thought process? Like, do we? No, I think it amplifies it. it I think you, you can amplify it huh? and implement it quickly. <laughs> so you can, you can. Okay, but so then, what do you, I'm just curious on what you think the 2024 outlook is going to look like for business landscape right now? I guess you got a you you got a no, pause on the, the Canadian side and also the U.S. side. So yeah. I'm just curious I, on what 20. That is weird, right? Like Canada yeah. is Canada's uh, economy just declined 1.1 percent in Q3. U.S. economy went up 5.2. How does that happen? We know, know, but how does that happen? Taxation. Yeah, it's insane. Entry, it's, it's absolutely insane. Skill set, brain drain. Yeah. But there's a lot of interesting companies coming out of Canada, but they're all selling into the U.S. They're all selling to foreign markets, right? And there's a lot of really interesting AI stuff going on, like University of Waterloo. There's stuff in uh, British Columbia. There's certain pockets. There's like the Mars thing is finally producing results out of that. It's always been a weird thing in Toronto. But yeah. you know, even U of T, like there, there's stuff that's there are companies we see. A lot of the times they're like first generation Canadians, by the way. Wow. So that's always interesting, right? So there, there's you know some really interesting stuff coming out of there, but that doesn't mean that the market itself is adopting. Like, I think that the nostalgia is your enemy. And if you have this mindset that nothing is possible, everything's expensive and difficult and risky, you're not going to embrace this. And I think that there's something weird culturally about the Canadian business market. If you look at who the top companies are in Canada versus the US, it's very different. Yeah, it is. Right. If you look at Canada, it's like banks. <laughs> it's Rogers, Bell, and Telus. All the big it's, players. It's always been the same big players. And you know, and then minerals, right? And yeah. Stuff. You look at the US, it's like Amazon, it's Google, it's now, you know, open AI's shooting up, like their revenue is going exponential, exponential. Like you've got Facebook, you've got all these technology companies. And that's, you know, it's very different. I think if you look 20 years ago. At those two lists, they'd be very similar. There'd be an equivalent in industry. And that's not what's happened over here in the US. It's totally flipped. And it's going to flip again. So if you have a mindset that's stuck in an old idea or you have entrenched structures that prevent you from taking advantage of that, the best people are just going to go over here. I even know builders that are going down to the States and building down there instead of having to build in Canada just because they don't want to deal with the way the structure has been set up right now. It's not beneficial. So can you blame anybody? Can you really blame anybody that's that's business savvy and they want the tools, they find the tools and then they try ideas. But where you are geographically is not embracing it. Why stay? There's no reason to stay. Yeah, why stay? The best people will go find opportunity and a way to go. Whether that's the States or Europe or Asia or wherever it is. Yeah, like. Yeah, there's, you know, and I think Europe has that issue too, right? Like there is stuff that's coming out of Europe, but where it's driven out of is not necessarily always entrepreneurship. And that, and the fastest people that address problems and the most efficiently, both capitally and any other way is an entrepreneur. It's yeah. a founder it's embracing, embracing technology and having a pack of people that can amplify that. When did you release the first book? How far back do we No, Not that long. Six years. Six, Six years, years now? Years. 
Yeah, so, it was like almost to the date. So oh wow, I was like, oh geez. So I, I I released this just like because I felt like it on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, you were mentioning. It. I remember we were talking about that. That you said, oh, oh, yeah, let, let me release this book on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> then I looked back, and the prior one I think was October of 2017. <laughs> is there is there a particular reason why October? I don't know. <laughs> it just worked out that way when you were finally done, and the editing was all taken care of. It was That's, all ready to yeah. go. I don't know if the editing is ever fully done. No. I'm already stuff I want to fix. <laughs> That's why there's a third book in play right now. Yeah, or I just fix this one a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's just I you know ne- it's you're never satisfied. I don't know. You always want to tweak stuff. Um yeah, so I, I don't I there was no real thought other than the first book was a gift to myself. It was like my birthday is in August and I'm like I'm going to get my my gift is I'm going to finally just take this thing that's in my head and put it into a book. And then this one, I think I might've kind of said, Oh, well, I'm going to, it's been sitting around. I need to release it before the end of the year. And Halloween seemed like a fun date to release. And how's the, how's the response been so far? Very, very good. I, first of all, like, you know, I think the one thing is this, the quality of this book versus the first one, the message in the first one is important. It gives you a really useful framework. Um, But you know, it's sometimes it's exhausting kind of writing and editing. Yeah. I think the quality of this book has a little bit, maybe better story behind it. And I think that the message might be not maybe a little bit more universal, right? I think it always, it says, yeah, we want to compete, but we want to compete in groups and create our own thing. And I think that's a little more universal than something that was very, very technical. I'm just curious, Michael, just how would you, how would you solve the labor shortage in construction? Man, that's so tough, isn't it? Um, well, well, we we know the way the government's doing it's not working. Well, no, you can't rely on that. That's no, not going to work. No, you need you need to um, you need to create a culture around it. So there's a really interesting brand in the states called Pink's Window Washing. Okay, and I've been really thinking about this. So there's all these old world businesses, right? There's like HVAC, there's like plumbing, there's electrical, there's you know contracting, construction. They're all very busy because you know we have had two cycles where we've delayed the development of housing, for example. So now suddenly there's like these pockets of nothing. And all of a sudden you got to build a bunch of stuff to catch up to demand. Right. Yeah. You did that in 2008, you're doing it again. <laughs> okay. So now we're under pressure for labor. So if you look here, there's, there's a lot of um, immigrants from Mexico and a lot of the contractors I know are younger Mexican guys or experienced Mexican guys. And, they're building really good businesses, but that doesn't solve all the problem, right? No. Um, if you look at what Pink's has done, they've taken an old world business and they they put a kind of a Gen Z brand on it called Pink's. And they came up with really cool merch and a culture around it, which is, hey, you can own your own window washing business. It's going to be like, I, I don't I think the investment would be like 50 grand or something, right? But you get this brand that you can expand out and you look cool in the uniform. It's like, oh, that's cool. I can relate to it, right? And it's and I think that that's what has to happen. Like if you look at the way media amplifies things. So if you look at, you know, I interviewed this guy, um, Clayton Kenametsu, and Clayton was a YouTuber, a gamer, hockey player, and which is really weird. It turned out um, we had some common connections because yeah. of hockey. Yeah. Actually, one of the coaches that I had in the organization where I was director of coaching up in Everett, I was like, wow, you guys played together. He goes, oh my God, you know him. That's so crazy. <laughs> Well, what he did is he took that audience he built by gaming on Twitch and YouTube. I think it was YouTube specifically. And he started a shoe brand. 
well, why aren't we doing this for the trades? And I think guys are. Uh, my friend, um, Sydney uh, Tarver, he's in Buffalo. Okay. And he started, he was a football player, um, finished his football career, young guy still. And he started uh, working in Amazon warehouse. And then what he realized is you can have an independent trucking company and Amazon supports you. They give you like trucks. They give you the software. They give you the contractors to run your finance. And then if you get an Amazon contract and you can get another one, you can get another one. And he now has 40 trucks and he's got his own culture around that, right? Like he gets people that meet certain like cultural uh, criteria. He's buddies with them. He shows them how to start their own trucking company. And now he's doing YouTube content on what the day in the life of that trucking business is. Wow. And he's going to show young people, wait, you could do this too. And I could show you how it's like, you want to make five, 10, 20 grand a month in the next three to four months. I can show you how. So he's using that audience to build up this new generation of what would be labor, but it's not labor. It's an independently run um, organization under a massive brand, which is Amazon, which is just going to keep growing. Right. So I think there's a lot of interesting examples if you dig like that. And so I think the construction industry needs to figure that out. Like start your own trades business. Let me show you how I did it, right? If you have your own content creators, and there's probably these guys out there, like we saw around house flipping, right? You have people that have, you know, TV shows on house flipping. And so everyone goes out, becomes a house flipper. Um, why can't you do the same thing? Like you're going to solve the labor shortage. You don't want to solve it necessarily for a big company, but why doesn't the company make them independent business owners where they bring in their five, 10 guys? That's a very, you know, it's a very good point. I totally agree with you because that's basically bringing back cool, coolness into construction where a lot of people don't have that factor. They don't associate construction that way. But I think a lot of people are, are shooting content and starting to spend money on marketing dollars and advertising and promotions by hiring digital uh, personnel to come on board and start shooting a bunch of content, but they're not um, like writing a book or like developing a concept. They're not fully directed into a path. They're not paying attention to where the possibility is. This content that's being shot could be used. If you have more focus and more direction, you could probably create a culture where someone will start following you, paying attention to you and they want, want to be a part of it. Isn't that the whole end game at that point? Yeah, that's, that's what good culture is. Good culture spreads, right? Yeah. So it's really cynical view of culture that it's with it's, it's got to be siloed and you can't steal. And no, that's not what culture is. Culture spreads. And if it's good culture, it gets adapted and morphed and you want to do that. So if you have a closed system, if construction is acting like a closed system, if someone really wants to disrupt it, then they're going to come in with this other model. Just the way this other guy's doing window washing and this other guy's doing trucking. Another great example is you, you probably follow Cody Sanchez. No. If you've seen her, okay. so she's you know ex-military. She was ex-Wall Street, like worked PE firm, and she, what she did is she took the PE model, or Alex Hermosi is another guy, but let's yeah. use Cody. Yeah, uh, you know Cody and her husband created basically a Holdco for um, you know car washes, laundry mats, um, coin-operated businesses, and she creates content showing how she makes money and all this stuff. And, they, and then, you know, you can jump into her program and you can too. Alex Hermosi is interesting because he's got acquisition.com and he's showing, hey, here's how I use cold email. Here's how I price things. Here's how I built my business. And if you have an interesting business, bring it to me and I'll partner with you and how do you, how do you show you how to scale that business up and I'll take equity in it. 
So he's building a hold co like a holding company for that. And I, I think it's the same thing. Like you have, you do have a new generation of people are going to disrupt those industries. There's a really weird thing going on where you have um, crazy pricing on some of this. <laughs> like, so, you know, valuations matter. <laughs> so if, if you have a business that's in uh, HVAC and it's doing three to 5 million a year, I'm hearing crazy stories of like someone bid 60 million. Well, of course the owner's going to dump out of that. <laughs> Because they're, they're looking at like tech valuations of it, and they think. But I think we saw with WeWork that doesn't work. You know, like you have to value it according to the physical aspect of that business. But you know, there's a whole generation of guys that are 50, 60, 70 years old that don't want to keep doing these businesses and no one to take it over. But I think there are content creators that are encouraging people to go find the business, take it over, apply technology, apply media, and scale it up through those things. And it's so 100 percent applicable to construction. Contractors, it's time to empower your business with Shelta Tech Implementation. Shelta is offering a free meeting to tackle your biggest pain points head-on. Their goal, to develop a custom company app that's built just for you. Their goal, to develop a custom company app that's built just for you. Solving your pain points, streamlining your processes, making your workday smoother. Here's the scoop. There's a $15,000 digital adoption grant available and Shelta is an expert at helping you secure it. This isn't just funding. It's your stepping stone into a new era of digital efficiency. By your second meeting, you'll get a tailor-made company playbook, a software prototype designed with your input, project tracking, real-time budget management, and daily logs all integrated into a single app. It's tech that works for you, not the other way around. Shelta isn't just offering tech. They're offering transformation. Join the community of 93 subcontractors who have already stepped up their game with Shelta Tech. Two meetings, countless opportunities. Ready to make a move? Visit Shelta.app. Let's pave the way to a smarter, tech-driven future. Shelta Technology, custom tech solutions for the modern contractor. Like, I I think it's almost like a... It's almost like a pool that's just ripe for it. Like it's just nobody's really. I, I don't know anybody that comes to to mind that does that disruption. I think the first person I could possibly think of right now, because I think as construction and, and influencing and content creation goes regarding North America or like Canada or the U.S., it's almost like everybody's on the same level playing field. You know what I mean? Nobody's spiked out and done anything differently. And the only person that comes to mind that maybe has done something interesting and unique would be uh, a guy out of the UK, um, Ash, Ash Grove or something like that. So he was actually a demolition quarry aggregate business. And, he, and then he started creating content where he was just showing up on job sites about these big projects and ripping apart, breaking all kinds of aggregate and then talking about, you know, minerals and talking about content and all kinds of stuff like that to the point where all of a sudden he got a National Geographic show out of it, a six part series. And then he was part of the uh, the, the, the globe in, in Las Vegas. He was actually talking about the engineering behind that. So I was like, yeah, that that guy's kind of disrupting things. And it's really fascinating yeah. what he's doing. He's bringing you into a world that nobody else is bringing you into. Like I said to Sydney, I go, hey, could I start a 10, 20 grand a month, mostly automated business like you, like a trucking company? He goes, yeah. I go, let's do it for content. Like show to everybody. I I shadow you. I learned. I got a contract. I got the truck. Guy tra- crashed the truck, by which that happens a lot, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, how guys damage the truck. He doesn't get too wound up about it. You know, it's content. It's great content it's at content. that point. Yeah, it's great. And as soon as he clicked into he was doing other content. So he said, no, no, I'm just going to show you what I do in my business and how you would start this business. He started taking off. And I think then now he's got a community of people that are also thinking I could do that business. And I think it's the same thing. Like if, you know, we've talked about this, Sydney and I, where 
you know, I have a brand called Dirty Harry that I it was a t-shirt brand, right? Okay. And why wouldn't we do Dirty Harry contracting, Dirty Harry window washing, <laughs> Dirty Harry HVAC, Dirty Harry plumbing? It's like, make it cool that these are gritty jobs, right? But you can have a cool uniform, show up and have a certain aesthetic and use technology to do it in a different way and attract customers that way. And then use these other methods to find customers, right? Like, it's like use cold email, use um, content and ads, right? It's funny how if, if Mike Rowe were to start Dirty Jobs today, that's how it would be. He would be all over social media. It would be a YouTube channel. It wouldn't be discovery. And you right. would follow this guy that you've never heard of, but only certain Ooh. people knew of from the, from the industry circles who was going into these situations. They're like, you don't want to be in that situation, but I definitely want to see what that situation's like. So I'll follow this guy. You're a hundred percent right on that. And that's a great example. Like what somebody should do that. Right. Yeah. I think that's how you fix the problem, but you're not going to fix it for Don Ellis or whatever they are. No. Ellis Don. Right. Yeah. You're <laughs> They're too busy. They're too busy being really huge and building all kinds of structures. Yeah, they're massive. So yeah. they, you know, they're like, oh, we have labor shortage. Okay, well, just somebody can start a contracting business and benefit from that. Well, I got labor. I got 20 guys. <laughs> I was no, done. It's, it's, a, it's a great right? thought. Like it's that? totally a great thought. I, lo I love it because I think that's, that's the first hurdle, whether you want to get the government involved or anybody else that's getting into the construction industry. I know. You never want to get the government involved. But never, the thing is, the moment if you make construction cool again, that will attract people to go. There's opportunity there. Yeah. If you, you know, I think if you look at like what's weird about, um, let's use music as an example sure. where you got all these music shows, the voice can't talent. stand any of them. <laughs> can't stand any of them. And the, what, what cool new music genres come out, you know, it, it's, it has been weird. It's very corporatized. Right. And, but then you Spotify and anybody can create music. Anybody can create an audience and monetize it. And YouTube did the same thing. Right. And that in TikTok too. Yeah. You know, you, you need that for these physical industries, I think. And then you can use those tools actually to do that. So you just want to make it so that someone says, Hey, I just want to make five, 10 grand a month. Or maybe another guy wants to make a hundred grand a month and build a small crew. That's open to you. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the best Grammy for best sampling. That's what I'm waiting for. That's basically music today. I'm just sorry to yeah, say. Yeah, I think those shows have become irrelevant to people because you're you know a kid's favorite artist is him and three thousand friends that listen to Slater. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I saw an interview recently where Slater. D, you know D Snyder, right? Oh, Slater. <laughs> you, you know uh, D Snyder, Twisted Sister. Yeah. So. Do you know where he made all his money from? No. He wrote a song that Celine Dion sang. Oh, my God. What? He wrote a song that Celine Dion sang, and he made his bulk of his wealth off of that. You think it would be, you think it would be Twisted Sister, right? But no, it's yeah. like nobody wanted to buy his library. But he wrote this one song because his wife said, just just write a Christmas song. And then all of a sudden, out of the oh, blue, the publicist. Wild. Celine Dion's, uh, Celine Dion's uh, publicist came along, came knocking and said, listen, we want to use this song. And he still owns the publishing rights to it. So that was a nice move from him. But that doesn't happen these days. These shows basically just kill the artists out there and just take everything, which is, but, but that's, that's business. That's how it is. Right? Listen, that, that whole industry was, is, is what it is. But I think, God, you know, there was a really interesting example of, um, and that, the guy's Canadian. And he would make these little songs on TikTok. And his girlfriend was a social media e-commerce manager. And during the pandemic, they're like, we need to make money. Yeah. 
So she knew how to use ads and amplify audience and, and use partnerships. And he would do, he's a, a kid that he could rap. Mm-hmm. He could, so he was like doing these storytelling type raps and she amplified it. And then what would happen is you would watch the TikTok and they would direct you to Spotify and they're making like two, 300 grand a month on wow. Spotify. Wow. <laughs> Just from so, downloads. Eh? <laughs> like it's possible, right? Well, why, like, why can't you have the singing contractor? I've met plenty of contractors that have a, a nice voice. <laughs> well, you do. I'm just, the yeah, there's, it's there. That's I'm telling you, it's there. There's lots of people that are probably. Hey, what, on is a, your, what is your thing with singing? With the, it uh, wasn't, wedding? it was my old host that was doing, he started the show with me. He's the one that came up with it. He goes, I want everybody to sing to open <laughs> up the show. And I'm like, dude, you're never going to make people do this. It's just, it's, and now here we are almost 500 shows and everyone like pretty much has done it. So it's just a thing, wow, but. Amazing. No, but if you go on job sites, I mean, like, why can't you be that that social media personality? Like, uh, that's, you could, you know, you like, could be. What you need is you need a a girl in like a pink overall or whatever purple or whatever that also owns a contracting. This is a serious contractor. Yeah, right. But then gets the story out because she uses TikTok. They but have the other truth, talents. Yeah. Simple as right. that. Okay. Yeah, you still got to be and a why, good contractor. Why would she do it. Yeah, so yeah. People are like, oh, that's ridiculous but you're watching it and you're you're entertained, you're engaged or you might want to go work for her. Yes. Now the reality might not meet the, you know, whatever, but that's why someone would do it. And maybe it's a guy like that kid that does rapping, right? Like he he does his own little musical storytelling raps. Right. Um, I think that's where the new generation gets it. And if someone goes, Hey, this is a huge business. Like, man, I can make 300, 400, a million a year. I can buy construction companies or just start one from scratch. Like the barrier to entry is very low. It is. Yeah. Like, Oh, I, I, you know, if someone said, you know what? I don't like universities. I don't really feel like going that route. I've always been more of a physical learner. Um, I'm going to go to contracting school and I'm going to document that on TikTok. And then when I leave contracting school, I'm going to document starting my contracting business, how I got my first job, how I networked and met people. And if, and it's like the TikTok version of this show, right? Where you go, how did you start your contracting business? How did you find your first contract? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because people are doing that with houses and cars and everything. That person would probably have two things. They would have people that want them to come do their renovation or build a building or whatever the heck it is, or would want to send them trades work, whatever their trade was. And they would, so they would have customers and then they would attract labor too. There's lots. I, there's one person that I follow on YouTube who was a med student and he started creating a channel about his experience of being a med student from a different country coming to the UK. Wow. And then it started growing a following and then he ended up not finishing med school and he became an influencer. And now he's got millions of people following his journey as he's written a book and he keeps on going down these different paths and he's, he's sharing, really he, I try, I'm trying to remember his name, but he's sharing his whole experience of this whole travel and everyone's following along, which is great, which is amazing. But I don't, I don't think anybody, and that's why this is, I love this conversation that we're having. Construction is ripe for this. It's a hundred percent right for this. There's opportunity and not just for one, there's like for several, there's several opportunities. There's different people doing different kinds of construction all over the world. Yeah. You had 10 or 20 of people that said, I'm going to start a contracting or a trades business. One guy's doing electrical. One guy's doing plumbing. One guy's doing HVAC. The other one's a roofer. The other one's just like, you know, straight up doing framing or whatever, drywall framing, bricklaying. 
and they're all creating their individual content and then they're cross promoting the content. They're going to attract labor and, and customers and faster and cheaper than anybody else. Why can't you create the justice league of construction or the Avengers of construction? That's, your pattern, that's basically right? the that's, pattern. That's yeah. what I say. Like when you, when I, when I, the book says form your own pack yeah. and we say like rapidly prototype, talk to real customers and investors, form your mastermind, build your community and your partnerships. And every company is a media company. That, that's, that's the it. potential. That's you can do it. that quickly. And you'll see results. Like, let's get to the ten questions here, Michael. Just before uh, you want to share your deets again, and also <laughs> you can you can you can get the book on Amazon. You get both books on Amazon, right? Form yeah. your own pack, and also automate and grow a blueprint to startup for startups, small and medium businesses to automate marketing, sales, and customer support. Did you did you want to make the title longer? On the first I one, I was trying to make it longer. You were trying to make it longer. That's why the second one's form your own pack. <laughs> well, the, the other one is form your own pack. And then it says what a forgotten Japanese business model teaches about the power of cooperation. So it does also have a tagline. It does. Yeah. Like, okay. It's something, the other one, I think I, you're right. I've, I've like often thought, I just want to shorten that to something. No, I call it a automate and grow. That's all. And that, it is automate and grow. you'll right. find it and look for him, but yeah, no, and, and get That's a copy. And yeah. And you've got an ebook as well too. And Kindle and everything like that. Yeah. yeah, ebook, paperback. Now there's hardcover coming of Formula Unpack. Nice. And then, sorry, what was it again? It was www.founderpack.io, right? Founderspack. Founderspack. Yeah. With an S in it. And then uh, email to reach out to you if they if anybody wants to reach out to you. You can just, it's just Michael at founderspack.io. Perfect. All right. You ready for the 10 questions? Let's do it. What everyday sound brings you joy? Everyday sound bringing me joy. The sound of Macon GTS. No, probably my Husky. <laughs> they Ma sound pretty similar. <laughs> Huskies are very, um, they should be on singing competitions, man. Like they just never stop chatting, eh? Mine, mine's pretty quiet. Is she it? goes still. Okay. But then she goes, <laughs> or she sounds like a <laughs> What's her name? Akira. Akira. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite beverage? Uh, you know what I, I've been liking lately is Hoplark. So it's water. But it's got the flavor of hops in. There's a number of them, but Hoplark's a little bit stronger, like flavor. It's not so you have like kind of what I like about beer, which is the hops flavor. Okay. But I beer, and there's like no calories almost. So it's where do you Hoplark's get it? Where do you find it? Like bars or no? Um, I mean, you, I think you can find it Hoplark.com or Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Or, and then I think I've seen it in Whole Foods, or well, we have Sprouts here. I think it's in Whole Foods, and there's a very there's a couple other brands, but that's the one I like the best. Uh, what's your least favorite tool? Oh my God. Anything to do with Microsoft. <laughs> That's two in a row, <laughs> two shows in a row. Someone else said that too, as well. <laughs> what turns you on creatively? Um, I mean, I like anything new that feels like it's, you know, that I discovered it a little bit. It, it was always there, that. right? Yeah. Like, or that, you know, it, it breaks something else that doesn't work. So for me, that's always kind of like, there's a little bit of rebel aspect to that. Uh, what word or concept do you find overused these days? Oh my God. I'm sure there's a few. Problematic. Problematic. Yeah, that's a good one. Favorite it's curse not. word. You're problem Sorry. Anybody that uses that, just turn and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you, just, you don't even say goodbye. You just turn around. Just leave. What, uh, what's your favorite <laughs> curse word? Oof. You don't swear? You don't have, you don't have to down. swear. Don't worry. 
If you don't swear, don't worry about it. It's all good. Oh, I do, but... Oh, okay. Um, if you swear, you want to share. I don't know what my favorite one is. There isn't a go-to that just instinctively kind of just... Um, I have bad words in my head that come out of my mouth. I don't know. That's just age. You can pick them. I think it was badly been like that. Yeah, everyone can find their own. Uh, what's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? Oof. Any mode of transportation. Um... I mean, I've, it sounds weird. So I've been to the track a few times and okay. I got to be honest, the best thing on the road is Porsche. Okay. Like I've driven a bunch of stuff and I always wanted like a Ferrari or Lamborghini, but when you drive those and you drive a Porsche, like it's, you understand on the track what a Porsche actually is. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is why. I get so it. As much as I like them, now I really like them. And it's just, even if you get a mom Porsche like I have, like get like the Macan GTS, you're like, <laughs> I see moms where I am. They have kids oh, have it. A right? mom, but, a mom but Porsche. Then you're like, oh, I can blow most things off the road, actually. <laughs> a Macan's got I, like I over the, 300 horse, isn't it? Like 325 or something like that. Yeah, and then it's got launch control. Oh, man. Okay. So it goes zero to 60 and four. That's insane. 3.9. And, but just everything's perfect in it. It's just, it feels good. My wife was the one that wanted it to get for the dog. And I'm like, really? We're going to get, like, let's get a Kia or something. No, she was right. (laughs) It's our second one. I'm like, oh, this is so nice. It's hard to drive anything else because it's just like, after you've driven it. Uh, (laughs) What do you you miss from your childhood? Oh, my God. What do I miss from my childhood? Do I miss anything? Unless you're living like a child. That's, I mean, that's what you I want. think I live, a, you know, a different life. So maybe, you know, I travel a lot and we have a pretty great life. Um, I don't know if I miss much from my childhood. <laughs> I think that's sometimes great. you have nostalgia where you go, but you want to go back and you wish you had done certain things differently and you yeah. can go talk to yourself. Yeah. But, you know, when I talk to my daughter, I realized that would have been useless. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're me. Like, there's no input here. You're just gonna go chart your own course. So all I can do is get out of the way and say good job. You know, <laughs> pick her up when she falls. That's yeah. all. If you could master a skill outside of your own, what would it be? I have one that's coming to my head, but it's weird. But why is it? Which I could do it. I I kind of would like to learn to fight with a samurai sword <laughs> that's kind of i love cool. star wars like i'm a star wars like that's kind of cool yeah to learn how to do you have a sword do you own a sword i don't I, I i've been tempted to get a bunch a lot i'm afraid i would use them i don't know <laughs> i'm like cut my finger off or something <laughs> you've ever met so have you done kendo before yeah but that's so just I've, sticks I've done, man I've it was sticks, right? Yeah, That's how you learn. Yeah, it's just you sticks. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, it seems like glamorous when you think about martial arts and samurai swords. But then when you watch Kendo, you realize it's very like quick strike, it's over. It's not as satisfying as you would think. <laughs> so, so you want the death experience part of it. That's why you want to. Oh, no. I think that is probably the death. <laughs> the insight is no, whoever wins, wins, you know? <laughs> it's like taekwondo like if you if you if you you know taekwondo when you go to the olympics you're like this is terrible to watch because it's so ticky tacky point thing but that's taekwondo now but you know it's not when you're learning taekwondo it's like oh there's 
all these different patterns and you graduate and there's, there's the community, yeah. there's the sparring, and then you get into competition and it's like, no, it's just, just boom, like you got a point. Okay. <laughs> you got to get into MMA then, I guess. Yeah. That, that's another level of, I'm a little old for jujitsu. I think I would break knees and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear sure. God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? What would I like him to say? Yeah. Here's your new body. Go back. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Start all over. There you go. Start from scratch. Michael, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Really appreciate thanks. it. Thank you, man. It's really, this is fun. Been, I really yeah, appreciate it. I love your blessed. industry, by the way. Like, I keep thinking about what we were talking about. It's funny you brought it up because I'm like, oh, this is ripe for you know opportunity. I think there's plenty of opportunity. Even when I first got into it on the social media level, I was just like, nobody was doing anything interesting. And then I started doing some interesting things and that started growing my audience and, and I just kept it going. But I mean, then the show started and the show is what it is and, and it's grown and it keeps on growing. But yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. There's it's ripe for disruption. Totally. I think the majority are just doing the exact same thing and just kind of keeping a level playing yeah. field, which is boring. Totally. I think construction needs a, needs a little shot in the arm kind of thing. TikTok videos. It's all kinds of stuff, Michael. Totally. Uh, don't go anywhere. Angelina, we're out of here. Thank you so much, Michael.